It's Coco and Breezy, and you're listening to the Coco and Breezy podcast. If you want to feel inspired, feel like you're hanging out with your homegirls, and hear us keep it 100, then you're at the right place. This is a safe space. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Coco and Breezy. And if you don't know a little bit about us, we are founders of Coco and Breezy Eyewear, co-founders of the Lorca, and we are DJs and producers. Let's get right into it. Everyone, we're so excited. We have our best friend, childhood best friend that we that we also call our cousin, Sharita. Um, we're interviewing her. She's from Minnesota. We grew up together. We met in, I think she was in sixth grade. We were in seventh grade. Yeah. And, you know, I think that our friendship and our love for each other and our growth has been so beautiful. So we're really excited to have you on our platform. And I know that these past few weeks have been extremely tough for all of us, but we're, we're fighting and you're fighting. You're in Minnesota. So I'm excited for you to just, you know, be on here, use our platform to speak the truth about how we grew up in Minnesota and everything you've been seeing because the media has been putting out information that is not correct. So Sharita. Again, this is your introduction. So happy to have you, love. But yeah, thank you. Going back to the courageous um, combo. So is that something that like you were taught to do, but you shouldn't have to do that? I mean, it's the start because so I just sent it because whatever the Zoom's acting really crazy right now because the updates. But I just sent it to you guys via text. Okay. So you'll see the specific educational group. So this is um, a template that we use as educators. Um, across the district in Twin Cities, and it's called. Um, you guys have it pulled up, yeah. Yeah. So it's the educational group. So there's four agreements that you have to have, and we discuss before you have any type of courageous conversation such as this. The first agreement is to stay engaged. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, experience discomfort. Yep. Speak your truth. Expect yep. and accept non-closure. Okay. Because mm. there's times where we're not going to be able to um, come to a comprehensive agreement. Yep. And at that point, it's okay to expect and accept non-closure. Mm, so there's six conditions. Okay. As you bring yourself to the truth and you're speaking about different issues, please focus on your personal, local, and immediate. Mm-hmm. This is a huge issue that we have in Minnesota, especially right now. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Or oh my God, I didn't know about this, right? But that's an issue. You need to focus on your personal, local, and immediate. Um, Also, isolate race when we're talking about issues. Like, well, I know being white, I didn't, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to isolate race. Um, Three, normalize social construction and multiple perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. So that is an opportunity to say, well, I did grow up in Hopkins. I'm black, but I never had black friends. And I had a conversation with one of my good uh, friends here. And he said that he was like, man, um, this really woke me up. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know as a black man being in Minnesota. I didn't know. So we'll have conversations about that, too. Um, Monitor agreements, conditions and establish parameters. Um, With us being that we know each other, this might not be something that we might need to do. But when you're having courageous conversations, there's certain parameters that you might need to establish before getting into those hard conversations. Um, and this is good that you can use for your, um, you know, your, your guys' corporations and your work groups. You can also use this too. Um, using a working definition for race. 
Um, and then examine their presence in the role of whiteness. Okay, so courageous conversation is utilizing the four agreements, mm-hmm. six conditions, and the compass in order to engage, sustain, deeper, deep and interracial dialogue about race. Um, and so as you can see, the compass, and so this is what we're going to use to focus. Okay, so um, we're talking about race. Uh, let's just say a person who is white. They might say, right now, I'm not comfortable. And again, that's oppression when white people say, I'm not comfortable saying this. But again, this is why you use the courageous conversation. Um, Right now, I'm in the thinking quadrant. Right now, I'm in the acting. Right now, I'm in the feeling. Right now, I'm in the believing. So a lot of times, let's just say you ask me a couple questions. You're like, you know, how do you feel about that? We can use the courageous conversation template or the protocol. And then be like, you know what? Right now, I'm in the thinking. Or if there's a hard conversation that we can't have, you know, you'd be like, you know what, right now I'm in my feeling and I don't know how to talk. So this is the way to have dialogue around um, racial equality. So, yeah. So just use this moving forward and we can use this today. So. That's wow. awesome. So was that something that you, that was put in place in the schools that you're working with or how did, I never heard, so, I, I never heard of it before. Is that new? Uh, fairly, it's fairly new. Um. I learned this from the University of St. Thomas. This is the way we talk about race and different conversations that might be touchy, like we say. So, or let's just say me and a colleague had a disagreement about something, or let's just say I'm working with a student and I didn't like how my colleague dealt with that. And I'm like, you know, to start the conversation, we say, can I have a courageous conversation with you? Oh. And then you kind of have a pillow before going extra hard. Exactly. So the courageous conversation gives respect. It gives parameters. It gives you the conditions. It gives you, right? Like if I want to have a courageous conversation, I don't need you to be typing an email and doing something. I need you to be engaged. Right. right? Yeah, exactly. So it gives you the parameters to have a courageous conversation. Because the reality is this is not going to work. And when I say this, I mean dismantling the system without humanity, without all, right? And that's exactly what Martin Luther King talked about. You know, I have a dream that my children are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And so that means all humanity has to join for this fight because at the end of the day, it's a genocide. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a genocide. So, all right, let's keep going. But first, I, I just want to start off and ask you, how are you, how are you feeling right now? And mentally, spiritually, emotionally, you've been protesting since day one in Minnesota. So at at this very moment, how do you feel? You know, um, again, and this one we can use it. I'm I'm in um, the acting quadrant right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the very beginning, I was in my feelings. I was so the first. Um, so George became my ancestor Monday, and I think Tuesday is when. No, 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 no. Yes, two. Okay, this is how it started. I actually uh, woke up to a text message from a colleague. It was just like, um, actually, let me um, let me read what she said because this is this is where it all started for me. I was in my bed, I was asleep, and I get an early text message. Okay, let's see where it's at. And then she said, um, "Did you watch the video trending? Another black man did by the hand of the police. This time in our own backyard." Minneapolis. I'm absolutely sickened by this. Um, wait, what? So, I go to social media. 
I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. It's okay. We can get emotional. Take your time. Take your time. I open my phone up and then all I see is, you know, like a black man on the ground yelling like I can't breathe and I'm watching a video and I'm seeing everything and I'm realizing it's on 30th in Chicago and I'm like, wait, what? No, 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 no. Like I was such in disbelief and I think after that, I just, I just turned my phone off. I was just like, nah, this is, nah, I'm trying to ignore it. Right. Cause it's like, that's where we are as black people. Like, we don't have the opportunity to just turn off our emotions. Mm-mm. We don't have the opportunity to just, oh, that doesn't bother me. You know, that's that's their problem. Like, we can't do that. Yep. Um, and so I was completely sick to my stomach. No, like, literally sick to my stomach. Um, I watched a video. Um, and I was just like, Again? Really? And then um, I just started calling out everybody I knew. And then I started looking at pictures on the internet again, and I just started seeing a lot of people go to 30th of Chicago. And then I just started seeing a lot of people up there. And then I was like, yo, this shit's real. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, we just watched a black man cry out for his mama while a white officer continuously nailed on him. Now, what a lot of people don't understand is that when we first got the news in Minneapolis, all we knew was about um, Officer Toll and then we also knew about Officer Derek. We didn't know about the other two officers in the beginning. until so somebody posted another picture. It was like, no, there's four total. And that's when the uproar happened. Mm. That everybody let that shit happen. Thank you. Because then it became, oh, you guys purposely killed him. It wasn't like he was resisting at this point. So then the narrative changed because you're like, you're sitting there, you're like, wait, one officer's standing and then there's three of them on him? You're confused because you're like, what, huh? So then you have to understand I have a relationship with, you know, the people from 38th and I was just in such disbelief. I just, honestly, I just kept, I think I watched the video like one more time because I couldn't believe it. I don't, I don't, I think I was like in disbelief at that moment. It's like um, in your own backyard. I no, think- this is literally our back. Like this is, this yeah. is a store that I just like, went to. I mean, cheese fries. No, we, used to, we used to go to Ashley McKay's house. Oh, there all the time like that was the store that we went to we grew up at that store pretty much we go up there like we got pictures on the wall up there like we go get our phones like this is a neighborhood store and I think that what a lot of people I just talked to my dad today and he was like Sharita like people don't know that neighborhood like that is where the bloods are right and like he was like, if any of the homies were standing out, like, this is how my dad's talking. He's like, if any of the homies or any of the bloods were outside, that would have never happened. They yeah. would have fucked his ass up. Yeah. And I'm like, and I think that's where the hurt and the disrespect comes from because the history with that neighborhood and the police force, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. It, right. So it's very it's disrespectful. It's, so the history in that neighborhood, due to what has happened, 
from systemic issues, there's been more forceful like police in that neighborhood. So I'm sure there's so many other cases that have happened in that neighborhood that like we don't even know about. I mean, I mean, let's be real. Like, and that's kind of it. Like, dang, all the shootings, all the things that have happened on that corner, and you guys kill a man for forgery, and we don't even know the truth to that. Like, who had the forged dollar, the check, whatever, right? And if the um the money was actually forgery, because I also and again it's not I'm not gonna say this is a fact, but I also read that someone was saying that that, that the money might not have been, even been counterfeit. And then I this also read a story yeah. that they used to work there. Officer Derek and um Flo, or George Floyd used to work at a club together. Again, I don't know if this is facts, but these are just things that I see. No, these are all factual. So. But I want to keep just hearing. I want to keep hearing her perspective yeah. on the early side before yeah. things hit the media, because mm-hmm. the media flips so much around. So I want to continue yeah. to hear like that's insane, though. Yeah. So we'll get there because that's a huge point, Breezy. And that's a huge point of the case. Um, but we'll get there. But yeah. So um, so now this is the first day. A lot of people are out there, and you know, and I say this with all respect, but it happens so often that we're like, okay, here's another situation. Another black man has died, but I think the severity of the issue was once we found out there was three officers like on top of him for over eight minutes and we watched him basically get lynched. Right. And it wasn't, yep. And we didn't use the language. Um, uh, they sat on him, they need him. No, we used the word lynch. Lynch. Mm-hmm. lynch. It was a modern day lynch. Yeah. Um, so that was the other yeah. I'm sorry. That was a modern day lynch that was filmed while this police officer was still running the streets like he was a normal person. But keep going, girl. Yeah. And so day two, it was over. It was over. There was everybody was angry. It was pure anger. Like, I can't emphasize the word anger. Like, I think we, we all went, and that's how trauma happens, right? Like, you, you go from like shock like being angry right and we're still angry to this day like there's there's no other emotion right now it's just pure anger yeah um and then the protest started and then um people were protesting and they're like you know we need to go protest to this police station because uh the whole world just seen you guys lynch our ancestor and now you're just going to what just they're, they're home, excuse me? Right. right. And that's where the other, so now anger went from like, you know, um, like a for like a little fire in a campground to a forest fire. Because right. we're like, wait, he's home? We just watched him kill a man. And that's why Mayor Jacob Fry, the issue that we have with him is because the reason why we voted you into office because one of your missions was to dismantle the oppression and the disparities that the police department puts upon people of color. Mm -hmm. That was something that we held you to. And so for this to happen on your watch, we get police officers fired. Okay. That's new. All right. Cool. Wow. Okay. Like you want us to be happy about that? No. Arrest. And so then they were, they were, the media tried to change the narrative as if we didn't know there was four of them. So they were just focusing on trying to arrest Derek. But we're like, no, 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 no. There's mm-hmm. four. 
Four of them committed murder. One of them could have said, get up, this is enough. However, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And so um, at that point, I went, uh, the next day, I went out um, to go protest. And I mean, we went to go protest. And I think the beauty of it all was that this is the, like, George Floyd was like the tip of the iceberg for Minnesota. Right. A lot of the times people don't understand, like we just went through um Philando. We just went with Jamar Clark. Like, and the same situation happened with Jamar Clark. Two blocks from the fourth precinct in North Minneapolis. Two blocks. Two. Right? Like mm-hmm. you're telling me you were fearful of your life and you have all the backup in the world two blocks from you. Jamar Clark was arrested with his hands behind him and was shot in his head. Philando was shot and killed in front of a baby girl. Mm-hmm. George lynched. We said, excuse me. Broad daylight. Right. Bitch, burn. Right. But say that again. The sound kind of broke out. Can you say that? What'd you say? Yeah, so excuse my French. No, no. No censor. Go for it. No filters. We were like, burn this bitch down. Burn this bitch down. Like, at this point, you're not understanding. Like, yeah, I get it. Definitely, um, there were white people. You know, I can't really name the group. Or, you know, there's a lot of... Here's my biggest thing. If I'm not there, I don't see things for myself. I can't say really what happened. Unless there's um, evidence of it. So, however, when I was out there, we were not burning things. People were using bats. People were kicking things in. People were breaking windows. But it was specifically, and I made it very known. I said, please do not hit any of those black businesses. And they were very respectful of that. So they were really hitting up corporations in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So until, as we can see across the media, it's, it is white people who their own narrative and they are burning things. Um, but once we got the police station on fire, it just felt like a victory. Like I've never felt so much energy. Like if you were down there, it was like the fire, it was hot, it was tear gas, it was people, it was yelling, it was fireworks. Like it almost felt like Independence Day. Right. Like July 4th. July 4th, 1776. Like, you know how we learn in the history books, like fireworks, this, that, like that's how it, and that's how people celebrated it. It was like a true feeling of independence. Like, yeah, like buildings are burning, fireworks are going, shots from the police. Like it was a straight up war zone. Right. And it was a victory. It was almost like, okay, the battlefield, it was a victory. Right. Um, because how much more you know, Tupac, you know, we always say we're the Tupac of our generation, right? Yeah. Right. Because Tupac, you know, he talked about in his interview, he was like, you know, if everybody's getting food and you keep telling me no and no and no mm-hmm. and give me a little bit by little bit by little bit, what do you think is going to happen? Blow right? Up. You're going to blow up. You're going to blow up, right? And that's the same thing they do in the state of Minnesota with people of color. Like, you know, they're so... Are you, and then that's the thing, right? Like, let's just say you're in Target or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> Poor little Target. 
oh, you're at Target and you're just like walking and somebody like bumps into you or, you know, stares at you and, you know, you stick up for yourself. The first thing they say is, why are you so angry? Yes. Why are you talking like that, right? And I think it's just a, it's it's assimilation, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the looting, right? Mm -hmm. Because what is happening was after the buildings were breaking into, they began looting, right? Everybody was looting. Um, Think about it. But it wasn't just black and brown people. It was white people too, right? Because the media made it seem like it was only black people. Let me tell you something. Okay. We as a people, as our culture, there are things we just don't do. Exactly. There are things that, I'm sorry, there are just things we don't do. I don't know too many people of color that got them gas masks. With a, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know too many of them that know how to start big old buildings on fire. I'm sorry, that's not our thing. We're not arsonists. No. So we will loot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> However, we will not burn. That is not us. Um, and it's a whole bunch of kids with skateboards. Um, and, and to make a point proven, um, shout out to my uh, my native community. They had been on patrol. They actually found a group of white kids from Wisconsin. I think it was like five teenagers that came up here to come like loot and burn buildings. And they caught them and they sat them all on the grass and they made them call their mom. And their mom was pissed and she came and picked them up and they made them sit there. And they just was like, yo, this is what you don't do. But that just shows you who we are as a people. Yes. It hurt them. But that's not us. No. And let's be real. Like, if I have a baby at home, I ain't get my first stimulus check. My unemployment benefits ain't came through, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Right? Like, people are, there's 40 million people unemployed. Yeah. We're going through a pandemic. Some people don't have no money. People are, like, losing their home. Everybody is frustrated. On top so, of that, 400 years of... Oppression. Oppression, yeah. And for over over hundreds and hundreds of decades that this system was just not set up for Black people to be successful. No, no. W.B. Du Bois speaks about that. Like, you know, a system cannot fail us that it it wasn't even designed for us. Mm -mm. Right? It was designed on oppression. Mm -hmm. It was designed to do exactly what it is doing. But now our people are waking up. And so that is the shift right now is that we still have a lot of people on the front lines because we have to. We have to keep it going. We have a lot of people that are on the Justice Avenue, the Justice Lane. We got to keep that going. And right now for me, what I'm trying to focus on is the Black economics right. of Minnesota. Because right now, you know, we went through the pain. Um, we're trying to do... All officers, we're still working on getting all three officers arrested. Yeah. I don't know anybody in Minnesota who believes that Officer Derek is arrested. I don't know anybody who believes that. We haven't seen a video of him being arrested. We don't see no, nothing, nothing. So we don't even know um, if he's truly arrested, but that's neither here or there. Then he got out on bail. We don't know. Um, okay. And so. Are you being a mom? Yeah. <laughs> Trita, okay. Trita, you, you know how this is going to be the video on our Instagram? Talking about some, Trita, look. Yeah, yeah, I was like, get over there. I'm on, I'm on an interview right now. 
Right. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of work to be done. And I think a lot of people have to understand. And I just want to make this very clear that if you thought that you were just going to walk and protest um, and be mad for one week, then this is not for you. Right. This is not for you. We are in the process, and I say we as a people, we're looking for our 40 acres in the mill. We're looking for our reparations. Mm-hmm. Um, they owe us trillions of dollars. Yeah. Um, and let's be real. Minnesota is very, it's just, it's, it's just, we have a smaller population of people of color. Yeah. So the Twin Cities means Minneapolis and St. Paul, and we're split by the Mississippi River. And so this is the predominant area of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously most of our police officers don't live in the, um, in the areas they police. So they don't know us and they don't want to know us. Um, and so that is another issue that we have to talk about in Minnesota too, is that a lot of people are thinking, oh, vote is the answer. Okay. We did that. We voted in the mayor we wanted. We voted in the city council that we wanted. We have a, a, a black, uh, police chief, but did that change anything? Absolutely not. Right. So Absolutely what do you think the next steps would be? And this is like talking about Minnesota right now. Yep. Next steps for Minnesota is black economics. Um, I'm in, so I actually had a conversation with a department chair, University of St. Thomas, and I'm actually going to try to call, get a hold of the president, um, University of St. Thomas, and describe to say, hey, you as a system, an uh, institution that mm-hmm. also, um, also, it, it, is very oppressive to our people of color. What can we do as a narrative? Um, and I also co-teach a class with, um, for the University of St. Thomas. She works for the Department of, uh, Minnesota Department of Education. And so I want to get a hold of her too, to say, okay, what are we going to do? There's, right. there's no more time. There's no more time. My mm-hmm. grandma, 78. My mama, 57. They mm-hmm. still wait. Do you think we're going to keep waiting? How much more time do we have? We don't have any. And so I think the important conversation right now is, um, you know, revamping or remodeling, per se, what uh, happened in St. Paul. St. Paul had the Rondo community where it was Black-owned schools, Black-owned dentists, dry cleaners. Everything you would think that you needed was Black-owned. Black-owned grocery stores, doctors, everything, right? And obviously, what did they do? They tore it down and they disrupt the generational wealth, right? Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, why are they burn-? Who cares? Same thing with university. Um, if it wasn't for the mayor, Melvin Carter, we wouldn't even have the train running down university to the neighborhoods that are people of color because they didn't even want it to go down there. Right. So there's a lot of things, right? And I don't say that voting locally is not impactful because things like having our first black mayor in Minnesota, like, yeah, he's doing a lot of things and changing a lot of policies. He's helping us, but overall he can't do those things because the governor can go ahead and, and um, mandate what they say. Right. So, and again, you know, our governor, Tim Walls, I mean, again, he is a, he's a, a white male. So once again, the system, what is, has it done for us? Right. And I think, I think too, when I look back, so when I first started seeing everything happen in Minnesota, um, I instantly had trauma disappear 
like the first few days, I just cried, cried, cried. And the reason why is because every experience I experienced as a kid with racism, it all came back. From even like what we talked about on Instagram, how we used to go, y'all, we used to go to the club. What, this is what, 2010, 2009, 2007? Yeah, 2007, 2008. We were going to the club in downtown Minneapolis. Why did we have to get used to, we knew as soon as we left the club, there would be police officers on horses ready to stomp on anybody. Was it tear gas or pepper spray? Pepper spray. Y'all, they would spray pepper spray in the air. We were used to leaving the club and running to our cars and coughing and sneezing and covering our eyes. Mm-hmm. Rita, we were used to that. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Why, um, why would we be used to that, though? Because it, it, it's, um, it's what Minneapolis Police Department does. Um, they're very forceful. We were used um, to seeing people getting dragged. Literally. We, we were numb to that shit. It was normalized to us. It was. It was like, oh, like, honestly, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> this is sad to say, but I didn't know this wasn't acceptable until I got older. Me yeah, too. No. Yo, we were like, because it's just normal in our community to get mistreated by the police. Like, I was just talking to my dad, and I was, he was just going down memory lane with us. Like, man, man I remember places be like, there's so many stories of my brother or just everything in general, like, I remember one time leaving out Cream Nightclub. Shout out to the Cream Nightclub. A lot of a lot of people know about Cream Nightclub. I don't care if you ain't from Minnesota or not. But Cream, Cream was the shit. It was the shit. Everybody know about Cream Nightclub. So if you ever came to Minnesota back in the day, you know about Cream. You go to Cream. If you're a celebrity, Cream. you pull up to Minnesota, you pop in bottles at Cream. <laughs> yes, but the thing though, and I don't know. So again, um, I don't know if Cream had any contract with Minneapolis PD, but obviously there's a you know. There's a precinct down there, so they don't really even have to have a contract to for the police to um, navigate that area. But anyway, I just remember being in Cream because it's one of the most popular, you know, urban clubs. Like, remember, it'll be like four or five horses right outside the door. Ready. Couple Ready. officers. Like, it's just so like, what? Like, to us, maybe we're thinking like, oh, just in case something happens, you know, maybe they're just there for protection. But the reality, they weren't there for protection. They were there for a law and order. Yes, and to police us. And to police us on the night, evening that we are trying to have fun, but okay, whatever. Then I always try to leave the club at, like, as I got older, I started really rationalizing myself. I'm like, you know, if I want to get home safe and not have to deal with the police, I got to leave the club early. So mm-hmm. I started leaving the club at, like, 1.15, and it was cool. You leave the club at 145, 150, you're getting pepper spray, you're getting attacked, you're going to get bullied by the police. Because there was one time when we got bullied, we were walking out the club, and one officer was like, walk up, just start talking shit to us. You know, we're intoxicated, so we don't talk shit back. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends was like, bitch, you ain't shit, but a bitch with a badge, you bitch-ass police. I was like, oh, shit. No. And then what uh, did the police officer do? Pepper spray us. Like, did in our eyeballs. Over some words? Yes. So then they was like, get the hell out here. And they have horses. They're chasing us through the car. So we're running across the street to the parking lot. We get in the car. We're trying to drive. Guess what they do? Pepper spray the entire car. So we're like driving out like... Like crying, crying, our faces are burning. It feels like it's peeling off. We can't see. And like this is all because we're walking out the club 
and a police officer wants to say something disrespectful, my friend got disrespectful back, and that's that's a norm. That's a norm. That, that was the in Minnesota. That's the the super norm. It's so normal that my mom said when I told my mom about how in high school we learned about white supremacy and how our our high school teachers were telling us that the white man will always be in power. My mom called me the other day and she goes, she cried. She's like, why didn't you guys ever tell me about the police brutality you saw? And why didn't you tell me you were learning that stuff at school? I said, mom, I didn't know it was wrong. That's what I was learning at school. So that's why I think now it's that time for parents to do a lot of work with their kids extremely early. And specifically also even, I think that what I've noticed is that a lot of, white people right they always say why do black people always say it's a black thing want to know why it's because i read this on instagram someone a psychiatrist said racism is a type of trauma even racial microaggressions can cause ptsd symptoms your black friends are being traumatized every day and many of them suffer through ptsd from these experience from experiencing racism so if i hear one more white person complain about us say it's a black thing you know what i mean like they need to understand it affects everybody yeah exactly you know you know what 99.9 percent of the times it is a black thing it is because i'm black you know what i mean and even today we were having conversations with one of our friends it was about how like you know we have at least i have ptsd when i see police officers if I'm oh, driving, girl, as soon as I see a police officer when I'm driving, girl, I'm shaking right away. And then I might get discombobulated and then I, I might start either speeding or slowing down or switching lanes because I'm nervous now, even though the police officer is not even paying attention to me. But like they should understand when they stop you, they should understand that like we're scared. We don't feel protected. We don't feel protected. So no, and like, yeah, I definitely like for me, I'm just one of those people who like I'm very bold. So um I'm obviously I'm like I'm afraid of the police in a sense, like, yeah, they can kill me and get away with it, but I'm not afraid I feel like when you're the police with any predator, right? The police are predators. Um right. with any predator that they prey on the weak. So if they know that you're scared, you're weak, then they know that they can be intimidating. But once they know that you're educated, you know, the law, they act a little bit different. And so I've learned that, too. But like, I remember one time we're leaving, me and my kids were leaving the movies and um, <laughs> um, and I see the police officer like, you know, and that's another thing they do, too. They like sit in the corner. They try to like watch you and like hunt you down. Like, they're just weird to me. But anyway, I'm getting on the highway and they pull me over. And I'm like, oh, and I look at my son right. to make sure he don't have a hat or a hoodie on. And I think he had a hoodie on and I snatched it off. What? Right away. And I was like, Jaden, you cannot have his hat on when they pull us over. And so before he approaches my car, I make sure I get my insurance. I make sure I get my ID out. Because, you know, they pull you over and they take time to get out. So I make sure I grab my ID and my insurance and I leave it right there. And then I just have my hands on the wheel. And then, um, he comes and approaches me or whatever, and he's just like, um, how, how are you doing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so then um, he's like, do you have license and insurance? I said, yes, I do. I said, can I reach for it? Right. Yes, you may reach for it. I said, are you sure? And I showed it in my hand. I said, I am reaching for it. And I'm being very loud about it. I'm reaching for it, and I give it to him. He gives it to me, whatever. And he was actually a pretty decent cop. 
Um, but my point is a lot of people don't, they don't experience that. And so then when you think about Minnesota, where a state that's about 93% white, mm-hmm. you have to understand that we deal with police almost all day, every day. Right. Because we are the predominantly urban culture, I mean, the Twin Cities. Right. So they're going to over-police us all day. Like, one time I've literally sat outside my house, and I I remember I kept seeing this cop car, 420. And by the way, cop 420, actually, uh, he actually did kill somebody last summer. I think it was a summer ago. One or two summers ago, they actually did kill somebody. But anyway. 420, his badge number? His cop car. Cop car? So you always remember cop car numbers, yep. So just in case something happened, they're speeding or something, just always remember their cop car number and then they'll know who's in the car, in the car. So, um, and there's certain cop cars that are just like raunchy, like 420. Um, and so then he just kept driving past, driving past, and it was a few times. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna like time him. Right. Literally, like within 10 minutes, I think he drove up and down our street at least 12 to 13 times. All like if that's outside your stoop. No, not for me. That's uh-huh. just over policing, right? Like right. you're just driving up and down the street. You're just you're basically driving in a perimeter and just like looking in the neighborhood. Like let me just see who, who, who's doing something wrong. It's just that's the over policing, and that's the problem. Like, like go fight crime, or your job is also to be a part of the community. Like go up to the parks or go help somebody out. Go see if an elderly person needs help. Like that's your job. Your job is not to just over police us. Right, like go find real crime, like seriously. Um, but that's just a narrative of the Minneapolis Police Department. Um, if you ask any uh, male guy, they'll tell you like they get roughed up, beat up by the police. It's normal, and that's across all cities. But I think what people have to understand is there, there's this. Um, I'm about to coin this term. There's just extra racism in Minnesota. Yeah, right? there's extra racism. Um, this land was looted by the, the Europeans. The Native Americans were, um, uh, they they were just, oh my God, they did them so bad. They did the Native Americans horrible. Um, they're still trying to figure out their circumstances, like assimilation at its finest. And that's the same thing with people of color. Like I use the word assimilation yeah. um, because the way we talk, actually, you know, People of color, especially black people, we have a dialect. Yeah. And they tell us that we don't. It's called Ebonics. And we do. Like, gonna, finna, ain't. Like, those are real words. Those are our dialects. Yeah. Can you kind of explain? I remember we had a conversation just about, like, Ebonics and, you know, teaching. Because you're, you're an educator. So teaching kids while, like, how it's important for you to teach them in a way that they can actually understand. But then again, you keep it, you make sure it's important that they do know how to spell, read, and write, and they do know how to like. But you still also keep them. They know the words, but you keep them comfortable. Yeah, with like correct. So there, um, I always tell my scholars, like you know, you show up who you are. Yeah. Um, be true to yourself. But there is a world where you you are going to have to learn academic language. Mm-hmm. Um, and the truth of the matter is, you know, a lot of our scholars are super intelligent, like all of our children are. But when they write, and again, this is also a genocide to our people because education, um, Minnesota has the worst schools of children of color in the nation. And those are things that, in the nation, yes. And those are things that we don't talk about, right? Um, 
And that's what I got into because my undergrad is school to prison pipeline. And once, so what they do is they build prison cells based upon reading and math test scores in third and fourth grade. Let me say that again. By the time your student is in third or fourth grade, they have already built a prison cell for them based upon their math and reading scores. This is called school to prison pipeline. So not only is the justice system a part of, excuse me, not only is mass incarceration, police brutality also an issue is also wrapped into the education system. Let's pause there. So it doesn't matter, right? You could be George Floyd 40, at 43, but George Floyd's situation was going to impact him in many different ways because of your, your social economic um, disparities, right? And like, that's the thing. We heard George Floyd move to Minnesota for better opportunities. And that's the thing about us as people of color. We're always trying to find better opportunities. We're always trying to figure ourselves out because it starts with education. And yeah. that's why um, my people of color, you do need to read Dr. G. Woodson, I mean, excuse me, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the miseducation of the, I mean, the miseducation of the Negro. Because it's true. Like, I, as a person of color, I have to be very careful of what I teach my students because I don't also, I want them to be proactive, but I also don't want them to be angry, right? Right. Mm. Once they start learning the truth and they start understanding things, they become angry. I don't want them to become angry. I want them to become actors and actors, right? And I also... Um, when I do teach my students of color, like it's also important to put in layman terms when we're teaching things, right? Like if I'm teaching fractions, right? Or I got to make it true to them. Mm-hmm. I had a student tell me, cause I used to do the, I also am a debate coach. I know. Um, hey, I'm I, like, you're the shit, by the way. Yeah, you are. Oh too much. Um, you love it too. I love it. Because the thing is, is like, that's how some of our, some, we, you know how we are. People are very argumentative, right? Yeah. So some of our people, like, I was like, yo, I know people get a full ride scholarship to college off of the, just being a part of the debate team, right? Right. And I need my students of color to understand their opportunities. You don't have to just do sports. You don't have to just be the basketball player. You can be the debater, right? Mm-hmm. So, which also gets them into law school. So, which also is going to change the system and making them lawyers and judges and different things like that. So, that's why I do the debate. Um, but my point I was trying to make, um, which I kind of uh, forgot my thought, but the point I'm trying to make is that our scholars do have to be taught in the sense of what they understand, right? Like, mm-hmm. I had a student, she's in fifth grade, and she's like, you know what? understand what she be teaching me because I asked her to tell me in a different way. You know what that lady gonna tell me? Well, I don't know how to teach you in a, in a different way. You just need to learn it this way. Right? And... If that's a white teacher told her that? Yeah. She's a black girl. Mm-hmm. Or another... And I love talking to little kids, right? And just hearing about their experiences. They can there's be a girl. Yes. And there's another little girl, she goes, you know... I really don't miss school. And I'm like, she's in third grade. I was like, why? And she's like, because I'm always in trouble. And I'm like, well, why are you always in trouble? Mind you, this young girl, she's so smart. She's 
just, just, oh, she's a doll. And she's like, because I always get in trouble for talking. My teacher says I talk too much. And how many times have we been told that we're talking too much or we raise our hand in class and we don't get called on? There's so many different things that being in Minnesota, like you have to learn, right? Because, you know, like, oh, don't go for a prime, for a case in point. I would never go to Oakdale as a black person. I have no reason to go out there mm-hmm. because if I get pulled over, I don't know if I'm coming home. And for people who are listening who don't know like what Oakdale is, can you explain what kind of vibe? Yeah, so Oakdale, I, um, Oakdale is where the officer Derek lives. Um, Oakdale is a suburb of St. Paul. And again, uh, the Twin Cities, the metro area is very small. So there's only a very few neighborhoods that we live in, predominantly people of color, and everything else is pretty much white. Yeah. So you're like on the island all by yourself. So that's just what it is. Um, and it's just not safe to just go certain places. Still in 2020, like literally in Minnesota, going up north. Oh, no, I wouldn't. So going up north again is like going to like the rural area. I wouldn't go out there. It's just not safe. And I, I and it's just hard to explain and to really like process and like really think about this, like talking about it, like, dang, like we really do like live in some it almost feels similar to like a rural area of Georgia. Right. Right. Like it's very still, very, very Jim Crowish laws, right? Yes. And I, people think because of the geographic location of Minnesota and that we're a very liberal state, they think that it's just like, oh, everybody's happy and friendly and in Minnesota nice. Oh, I have a I have a, a real a statement that I think I want to put on Instagram. I'm gonna be like, is Minnesota really nice though? Because people always talk about Minnesota nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. People, so Minnesota is passive aggressive. It's very passive aggressive here. So like, all that. Yeah, like, um, yeah, just yeah, it's just very passive aggressive, and so they get away with it all the time. And people take that as Minnesota nice, but in reality, Minnesota is not that nice if you're black or brown. No, no. I mean, even being in certain meetings or, you know, I'm going to be more than likely the only person of color. Mm-hmm. Um, my job, certain um, professional careers, you're going to be the only person of color. Um, and then they always want you to speak for the people of color. Like, I can't speak. I'm, I'm not a spokesperson. Yeah. They need to do the work and get more people. To work. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's what people from the outside don't understand. Like, I always use an example, like when I was visiting with y'all in Brooklyn and me and Jaden went outside, whatever, to get some fresh air and we went to the school playground. I mean, there was like three, there was like three black teachers, mm-hmm. women teachers. Mm-hmm. And obviously there was, you know, black and case Latino, Hispanic. I'm not sure the correct term to use, but the way it was just navigated, the way they spoke and the way the children, you know, reacted. And I was just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is different. Your neighborhoods are different. The people are different. What you see is different. And it's it's very historical in those areas. But in Minnesota, you know, there are, I, I had asked one of my friends. Um, she's a, let me see, one, two, three. She's a fourth generation here. Wow. So I think the furthest back for genealogy that we could probably do here 
and I don't turn, don't coin this term, but I think we can probably go up to like a four or five, four or fifth generation, fourth or fifth generation, excuse me, of people of color. That's not a lot. There's yep. people who down south and go back to 1800s and 1700s, right? Right. Not the truth for here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do here. Yeah. So that's, and then I think that's the background of why we're so angry and why they say, oh my God, you know, Minnesota snapped. Like, Minnesota's that one person that get bullied on and you don't, you like, you keep bullying them and they just snap out. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly, because we've been dealing with it so long and people have to yeah. understand there's not, like, there's nowhere I can really go where I feel comfortable or my people besides North Minneapolis, South Minneapolis, and parts of St. Paul. And at that, you feel comfortable with your people, but you're being policed while you feel comfortable with your people. Yeah, and then it's... Where you can be comfortable in Minnesota. There's nowhere for us. And the crazy part is, like, you can be in North Minneapolis where it used to be predominantly Black, and now they're gentrifying. Now you have Karens that are trying to tell you that you can have barbecues at your local park where we've been having barbecues at. Yeah, and so that was... Okay, so that's the brim of it, right? Like, why we're so angry in Minnesota and why people get, keep saying stop burning out communities. Like, we don't have communities here. Um, we have a lot of work to do here. Like, it's very white and it's very racist. Yeah. And so, but there are a lot of opportunities. And right. that's where the Minnesota Knights comes from because there are, there are a lot of liberal opportunities, right? Like, the housing, the food stands, the childcare, the medical, the education. Like, it's accessible, but it's not accessible to all, right? And that's that Minnesota nice part. However, now the issue is we can't even be in our own neighborhoods, let alone we have very limited neighborhoods. And then we are in our neighborhoods, we're going to get lynched. That's right. the narrative. That's basically what the police department just told us, Pretty much. right? Mm-hmm. And so now um, North Minneapolis is being gentrified. Frogtown, which, excuse me, Frogtown, Rondo, that's St. Paul, they're being gentrified. South Minneapolis is gentrified. And so now... The only Black communities are being gentrified, and it's pushing people that have never had any chance economically out... To go where? To go where? Don't give me... The homeless population here? Don't get me started. Um, I don't even want to discuss that. That's just... That is a whole nother nother episode. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, our rents are pretty equivalent to like huge cities like San Francisco, New York. Um, what? Yeah. Like Uptown, girl, 2100. Lake Street, 12, anywhere from like 14 to $2,000. For what? A studio? One bedroom, studios. In Minnesota? Out there in the city, it used to be way cheaper. Girl, I used to be able to get a nice apartment for like eight, nine hundred. Used to remember get a whole. Living, remember when you lived in that loft? weren't you only paying like seven? weren't you paying like seven fifty for it or something like that? If that, like seven forty-five. And now that was a big loft in a nice area. Yeah, now twelve, fourteen, eighteen. That's an average. Like even now, over north, over north. The average rent, I think, is twelve, fourteen hundred dollars. Over north, yeah. And for those who are listening, over north used to be. I'm gonna say north. North, north side, north side with the S. 
Overnight, the like very. I remember there's a um a gas station, the Bumblebee gas station, always guaranteed a shootout. You know, you you get your gas, you get in the car, and you go. <laughs> but again, it's because there hasn't been equal opportunity with for black people in Minnesota, which they have to go towards doing other things in order to sustain. And that's what white people need to understand. It's one thing I can't stand. The conversation I hear white people talk about is why do black people kill their own people? But it's like we need you white guys. People kill white people, black people kill black people. Everybody kills within your proximity. That's what it's called. It's proximity killing. So I'm gonna need you people to look up proximity killing. Exactly. If I live. If I live in a whole white neighborhood and someone's attacking me or shooting at me, I'm going to kill a white person. This is going to be a black or white crime. At the end of the day, people kill people. That's human nature. Well, let me get into the T, though. The T is, I did some research and statistics show that all the mass killings in the last, like, 20 years, it's been times three white men. You feel mm-hmm. me? Check it out. So why does the media and people always highlight black-on-black killing when in reality... It's like these white men have one bad experience with a black person. They are so afraid of of, a black man. But it's the white men that get away with murder, with mass killings, that get to walk away with the bulletproof vest, walk away like they're kings. And then then on the media, they say they had a mental health issue. Don't you think most of all of us black people in America from all the trauma, we have mental health dealing with racism. We're we're dealing with off rip. it's, It's PTSD. Yeah, it's um, it's um, there's another book you guys need to read. It's called Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and it talks about trauma is passed down genetically. So we're born with trauma, right? Um, and then that's and that's another thing too. Like, there's this picture that's going viral on the internet of I don't know where it's at. I'm just gonna make an assumption that it's in New York or somewhere, somewhere in the tri or tri states. And there's a police officer that got cut off from the rest of his. Um, oh, I saw that. And all the black people are holding together, like, chain arms and protecting him. Like, yep. that's who we are. Exactly. We are very lovable. We laugh. We smile. Like, we laugh through our pain. Like, right now, we're making jokes about stuff. Like, just to get us through our pain. Like, and, and that's just who we are. Mm-hmm. That's just who we are people. Yeah. We love hard. I mean, and, and like, we're just we're just looking for equality. We're not looking for revenge. No, right? exactly we, don't want, we don't want any revenge at all. We just want everyone to be treated like humans, and that's just what it is. And like, put our shit back and respect us. Yeah, and just like back up. And so, but that's why, right? As we can see, as a people, we can talk about equality, equality, equality until we're blue in the face. And that is exactly why, right? And I'm gonna say this. I don't care who objects to this or feel like this is objective. Martin Luther King was not killed until he started talking about black economics. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King started talking about black economics. That is when he was killed. Yep. So at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's what we need to start talking about as a people. Yes. No longer continuously talk about what these corporations do to us. We can no longer talk about who's not approving us for loans. We all know that. We all know that we were going through a pandemic before we were going through a pandemic. Yep. So at the end of the day, when it comes down to anything that has to do with people of color, we are always treated the worst. Mm-hmm. That's okay, though. Because guess what? We have a new sheriff in town. 
And that new sheriff is called Black Economics, and that's what we're going to focus on. Now that we didn't burn down this city, it's time for us to rebuild. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's my mission for our people. I'm trying to figure out what I like. Like the other day, I was outside collecting numbers. Like who? You, what you do? Which, what, are you, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do to help? Oh, well, I'm an engineer. I just, I don't know. I don't know what I could do, but I, I just want to help. I'm an engineer. Cool. Got his number. Boom. Got an engineer. Now I need an accountant because that's the other conversation that we don't have as a people too, is that a lot of our people of color are very limited with their education here mm-hmm. and their opportunities and the professional setting. Mm-hmm. So in order for this to work, we're, we are going to have to have development with our white allies. And that's why it's important for places like University of Minnesota, University of St. Thomas, um, different organizations like that, or like philanthropist groups. Because at the end of the day, Minnesota is very wealthy. Don't get it misconstrued. Very. They're mm-hmm. very wealthy here, people. They're very wealthy people here. Mm-hmm. So, like Rihanna said, pull up. Pull up. Pull up. Where you at? Yeah. Right? You like, you like our culture. You like to hang out. You like to go to the clubs with us all night. You like to kick with us, we'll pull up. Yeah. Like today, it's just not going to work unless all of us work together. Yeah. And that's my, and that's my mission. So, um, and we all talk about it too. Like, what can you do if you're from the state of Minnesota, if you have left, if you have um, allies, if you know any partnerships, if you um, know any agencies, like our people of color could utilize educational a- agencies, right? Yeah. Like, we're going to need more grocery stores, okay? Who can garden? Mm-hmm. Where are the architects? Yeah. Who are the teachers? Who owns car shops? What's up? Yeah. Pull up. <laughs> Pull up. Like, that's what we got to do. So now that we are in this state of emergency and we're trying to figure out the narratives and, and, and just get our equal opportunity, like I said, we got people fighting that battle. That's not, and if, and if, any of our allies or people of color think that this is going to be over with. No, we're fighting for justice. Mm-hmm. We're fighting to change policies and laws. Yep. Period. Point blank. This ain't no overnight race. This is a marathon, right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Nipsey taught us. Nipsey was also assassinated. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you are great, you are not killed. You are assassinated. And he was assassinated because Nipsey, the same thing. He was bringing the black and brown communities together. He was bringing the gangs together. They don't want that. They don't want that. They want us to be divided. They want us to kill each other. They don't want us to have protection. And that's the other thing that we have to understand as people of color. Please utilize your second amendment. You have a right to bear arms. You need to have it because trust and believe. <laughs> when I was buying my bullets today, it was a gang of white people and they're buying bullets. Trust me. There was a gang of Asians buying bullets. There was a lot of people looking at bows and arrows, and they ready for war. What's up with us? Right. Like, where's our I black wish, I wish, I wish our country just since there are since there is that Second Amendment. I wish that like there would just be no guns at all. Like, I wish police in other countries, police officers don't carry guns. So, like, I wish that they were just like. No, if no authorities carry guns and like there weren't guns allowed in the whole U.S., it would be different. But the fact that that they are allowed and the fact that we as black people have to risk our lives. And now it's almost like you need something for protection. 
Yeah, because then the next conversation is there's supposedly white supremacists in the black neighborhoods, you know, so, you know, not only are people of color, you know, um, going through what they're going through with the trauma, now they're, you know, I don't... I don't think a lot of us are afraid of the supremacists. It's more of like, dang, we got to deal with that too. You know what I mean? Y'all got to protect yourselves. Then we got to protect ourselves. You got the National Guard shooting at us. You got the curfew. You got the riots. You got the protesters. You know, you got your Karens. I mean... it's a, That's a lot to deal with. What's your and, reason? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. We have and to I'm talking about... Say, say it again, sorry. Um, on top of everything that's going on, um, we're expected to go back to work and just act like nothing happened this past few days, you know? Um, and that's a whole nother conversation. And Coco and I, Coco and I have been reaching out to employers and companies, like corporate companies that we've been partners with. And we've been telling them like, hey, if you have any black, black employees, employees, please understand that they're going through a traumatic time right now. So give them a mental health day or a few mental health days to as many days as they need. Yeah, because this is very traumatic. You can't just go to work and not have that conversation. And exactly. and acknowledge what's going on. Because if you the worst thing you can do is have your employee come in and if you don't acknowledge it as a black as when you go into an office where you're one of the only black people in the office and everyone's acting do and acting like nothing's happening and no one's acknowledging it. Everyone that hurts. That hurts. does hurt. That hurts. And then same thing with us like just last week, everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it, crying. And then, like, come Monday, just emailing me all day. Hey, re- can we do this? Can we, can we get this done? It's like, did you not just see on national news that the whole world is protesting? Like, right. do you not understand that? Like, how do you think we feel? It ha- we started it. You know, like, I have friends and families on the front lines. Like, like, dude, like, give me a break. So I'm just going through my courageous conversation. Right. Good job. Good. Well, Sharita, I think we should continue this and do another, another, um, cause I want to talk deeper about the black, econo- like black economics and like what your plans are that will make Minnesota, um, you know, be great for and, our, and also like how we could on. Yeah. And just think about like what you're like, you have kids right now. And so I would love to hear your aspect of how you think, like you want, like what you want your kids to experience once there are ages. But, so let me um, say this really, really, really quick. I know you guys gotta go, but um, the most important thing for me is education, right? Yes. We yeah. the people. We gotta start back educating our children at home. Yes. Um, I get it. I will. I get it. I understand it. I know we're working two, three, four, five, six, seventeen jobs, <laughs> trying to pay that fifteen hundred dollar rent. Um. Working, making eleven, twelve dollars an hour, because that's just what it is. Um, I get it. However, I, we listen. If they killed us in the streets, do you think they really want to educate us in the classroom? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Therefore, we are graduating students of color reading on the third, fourth grade level. Hmm. So I don't know how that's going to help us in the long run. We got to we got to switch that up. So anyway, we definitely got to talk about the black economics. We definitely got to make a plan. We definitely got to be strategizing um, and be very strategic about this because the reality is, um, somebody's going to want to take that area and rebuild, and we got to get to it. So yes, peace and love and chicken grease. And real quick, before we end, we always like to end it with three affirmations, and I think that 
since we, what we, our conversation in this week has been like very, very heavy. So if there's an affirmation that comes to your heart, what would the affirmation be? Um, honestly, the, the affirmation right now is that there's, um, just love. Love. Yep. I love that. So my affirmation is, you know what? I don't, I can't even, I don't even want to say anything right now. Cause I feel like I'm going to let everybody else speak. We've been talking a lot. <laughs> That's real. Yeah. And my affirmation you know I mean? is that I'm, shit, we are powerful. If anyone, like we as black people, we're fucking powerful. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't forget that. And I think that America makes us believe and brainwash us into us not being powerful. But, but Sharita, we love you. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. We love actually, you so much. We're actually about to jump on a call with the, one of our big corporate companies. And we, we, they're huge. And we had to like kind of tell them. So yeah, like, we have to have them call now. You are you going to finish off the, are you going to end it off with yeah. like an ending note? Of course. Okay. I'm going to call them now. So, um. <laughs> and we can have this conversation too. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Make but, sure you stay recording, Brianna. But we, I will. But yeah, we had a call with them about um, putting out a statement. I'm like, we're we're partners with you guys. It's been a few days. I'm like, your silence is not helping us. So I'm I'm proud of us for yeah. But I gotta let you go too. But the thing is that that's a part of oppression. They can be silent. Exactly. But yeah, guys, right. this call. we love you so much Sharita thank you for taking this time out you are like one of our bestest friends our sister our, cousin, our heart everything and thank everything. you for love you guys different lines for us bye-bye okay bye Thank you for listening to the Coco and Breezy podcast. We are so grateful that you took the time out to hang out with us. I'm Coco. And I'm Breezy. And do not forget to follow us on all social media channels at Coco and Breezy. If you have any comments or feedback or want to hear some topics from us, just send us a message. And check out our website, www.cocoandbreezy.com. Peace and love, y'all. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Dungeons and Daddies is an improvised comedy podcast where we play Dungeons and Dragons to tell the story of four suburban dads transported to a land of high fantasy in a quest to rescue their missing kids. Join a wannabe coach dad. Hands in the middle, everyone. A dad rock cover band dad. Hey man, we play some originals. A Birkenstock wearing hippie dad. I prefer environmentally conscious. And a businessman stepdad. Doing business is my job. As they tool around, fighting orcs, befriending witches, running up a tab at a tavern, and fleeing in their minivan. You know, normal fantasy stuff. It's called Dungeons and Daddies. Dungeons and Daddies is not a BDSM podcast. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.